when women decided to further their education, they often chose studies that were socially acceptable for them to pursue. And in the 20s, architecture was perceived as a more artistic than technical degree, and therefore it was viewed as an appropriate path for women. When you work in a male-dominant space like that, you must be very self-confident in what you could give to the group and also be very brave to be able to explain what do you think that is not exactly what they are proposing. Hello and welcome to the second episode of our special summer series on The Urbanist. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Over four weeks, we're taking inspiration from the biggest names in architecture, city planning and design to uncover how these dynamic characters created enduring legacies that still shape our cities today. This week, we assess the influence of the pioneering Argentine urban planner Odilia Suarez. So join us over the next 30 minutes as we explore the life and works of a planning great. That's coming up right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. Our episode today starts in Argentina, the birthplace of architect and urban planner Adelia Suarez. And to guide us through her story, we have enlisted the services of fellow architect and Argentinian Zaida Mushi. My connection with Odilia Suarez is while I was a student in Buenos Aires University in the Faculty of Architecture, she was the academic secretary, so I just know her name. I didn't know anything about her. And since 2000, more or less, I began to research about women in architecture. And in this journey, I find, obviously, Odilia Suarez and I go deeper in Odilia Suarez history because I was writing a book that was now is published that is called Beyond the Threshold, Women, Houses and Cities. My intention is to write or to rewrite the history of architecture and cities by the lenses of women, not only architects, but the women who gave their thoughts, their actions, their policies to have better places to live. Despite being such a groundbreaking figure in urban planning, Suarez's early story is not well known. I couldn't say too much about early life of Odilia Suarez. I only could say that she was born in 1923 in Córdoba, in a small town in the center of Argentinian Republic. But I don't know too much about her life. In fact, I was looking for more information, but there is no not information about her childhood. Her family give her documentation to the architecture center in Buenos Aires. But I think that also they gave only the professional life. Many times, I don't know, maybe to be a woman, maybe you don't keep everything. Or maybe the people think that's not important. I think that it's really important to know your background or where you come from, but many times it's not easy to know things about them. <laughs> Her academic life, however, is much better charted, perhaps because this studious pupil kept equally highly regarded company. Odile uh, Sales was a, a very good student. In fact, she graduated with a gold medal of the architecture faculty in Buenos Aires. And later on, she uh, obtained a few scholarships, 
want to go to England to study and to know from firsthand the reconstruction model of England, the new towns, and that impact a lot in the way he worked later. Also, in 1952, she went to Mexico to cover a congress, and there she met Franklin Wright, and Wright invited her to go to Taliesin, where also she stayed six months. So I think she was really bright person and a bright woman to obtain all that. And also while he was a student in 1948, he began to work in the government of Buenos Aires or in the team that were doing the, the study for the future plan of Buenos Aires. So he, she began to work in, in planning issues from the very beginning of her professional life. Odilia Suarez's work was mainly focused on planning and also later on she was also jury in many, many competitions, architecture and urban design competition. I found in many places that she was asked to do that because she was really clever when she used to be an architect in the initial decision of a project. And that's very important to be a jury in the competition. So she was asked to do jury because of her knowledge, her capacity, and also because she's not involved with the, the construction. Suarez's scholarly instinct resulted in her becoming a prolific competition winner. Over the course of her career, she won 19 national architecture prizes. And her detailed knowledge of planning is also evident in her many published works. But Suarez worked at a time when few women were able to find success in this field and was regarded as a pioneering presence in her home territory and beyond. When Odilia Suarez worked in the municipality, there were other women working in the municipality also, not famous, but very good architects like Itala Fulvia Vila. And I suppose that when you work in a male-dominant space like that at the moment, you must be very self-confidence in what you could give to the group and also be very brave to be able to explain what do you think that is not exactly what they are proposing. To find out just how Suarez continues to shape urban planning careers for women in Latin America, our correspondent in the region, Lucinda Elliott, headed to the Argentine capital to hear about the challenges faced by some of those working today in the field. On the edge of the bustling industrial district of La Boca, in Argentina's capital, Buenos Aires, the city's public space minister, Clara Muzio, arrives at the ministry headquarters from a site visit. Her office sits on the fourth floor of what was a former biscuit factory, elegantly revived in recent years, together with the lively square out front. Muzio is the first ever woman to hold the capital's planning position, Appointed in late 2019, having climbed the ranks first at the Environment Ministry and later designing urban space, she talks openly about the role of women in her field. Personally, I have worked in the public sector for the last 15 years and I have experienced the challenges women faced firsthand. I am the Minister of Public Space and Urban 18, which is a typical male office. And for a long time, I was the only woman in most meetings, meetings that were held by men who weren't used to dealing with someone who 
on top of being a woman, was young and was in charge of important responsibilities. Paradigm changes are social movements that begin personally, something shifts and you begin to see things a different light. In my case, I had to learn to speak up in a world of men to push for my ideas. And many of the men I worked with went through a similar process. They had to change, to rethink some ideas that seemed obvious until suddenly they weren't. When I became minister, I decided to surround myself with women. And today, over 60% of general directors in the ministry are women and half of the staff as well. So the talent and the commitment were right there. My responsibility was to shed light on the wonderful work they did and had always been doing. Challenges in Latin America's sprawling megacities are abundant. Poor infrastructure, lack of sanitation, rising inequality and crime, and more so for women, she explained. By having better female representation up top, directing how public space is set out, the region can start to slowly tackle these issues through design. Violence against women is a real problem in the region. I would say it's one of the biggest challenges we face in urbanism in particular and in society as in general. In Argentina, service shows that 100% of women have been harassed on the streets at least once in their lives. And as a woman in office, it's impossible to look the other way. First of all, because as user of public space, of course, we have experienced this sort of thing. But more importantly, because as leaders, we are responsible for working to make our city safer for everyone, but particularly for women and minorities. I like to think about public space as a place of connection. It is the stage on which of most of our lives unfold, going to places, taking walks, exercising, meeting friends, enjoying nature. And our public spaces are there for us whenever we need them. And it is vital that every citizen is able to experience public spaces freely and safely. That is why urbanism needs to be inclusive at its core. And that is what we work for every day. It may come as a surprise that Argentina, a broadly conservative and at times still patriarchal Latin American nation that only decriminalised abortion as recently as 2020, has a long history of female representation in its architecture. In Argentina, there was never an official regulation preventing the enrollment of women in universities. But when women decided to further their education, they often chose studies that were socially acceptable for them to pursue. It wasn't until 1917 that the first female Argentine civil engineer graduated. And in the 20s, architecture was perceived as a more artistic than technical degree, and therefore it was viewed as an appropriate path for women. The first female architect, Finlandia Pisul, graduated in 1929. She was a true pioneer, and she participated in the project that resulted the Jorge Newby Airport. Marina Weisman is another important figure, an academic and a heritage professionist. And Odilia Suarez, of course, an academic and urbanist who played an important role in the development of the city. There is a lot going on in urbanism right now in Buenos Aires, and I'm proud of being part of this transformation. 
Lucrezia Panizzoni, a young subsecretary at the ministry, said that a lot of ground has already been gained by the women before her. It's not something that suddenly emerged or that can happen overnight. We're starting to win over these spaces. And after many silent years where women were there, just not heard. Gaining territory in the decision-making, there's still a way to go, but it's thanks to a movement that began before. It started in the academic world, in architecture, then urban design. And then that led us to today, where there's a new focus on gender parity. In our team, there are more women than men, and that's part of the trend, thanks in part to the minister and the city government, who are helping to ensure things change. Across the other side of town, on Libertador Avenue, Anna Smood has run her own architecture firm since 2012, focusing on private residential properties and commercial buildings. She's hired seven other women in recent years that she too believes is part of a broader trend that extends beyond company quotas and examples in government. For decades, Smood said, women in Argentina have been at the forefront of design, forming fundamental parts of respected architecture studios, but only the husbands, fathers or brothers' titles, she explained, appeared as the company name. Women were only picked out specifically for a project ahead of a man within a firm when clients needed a new kitchen or bathroom fitted. That, thankfully, is changing. Students who choose architecture as a degree are seeing women teach for the first time. They can see a woman as a professor with a career and that plants the seed of possibility that you're not limited to bathrooms and kitchens, the so-called women's area. It's to do with a patriarchal structure. I have a class that I teach and for me it's important to show my students that they can be architects and they can build big spaces, to think of architecture as a whole and how to build cities and that it's important we include the female vision. It's a huge honour to do this and I feel that I'm giving the women who listen to me in the classroom an entirely different perspective to the one I had. Throughout her university degree, Smood explained how all the project examples presented in class were designed by men. No professor suggested she look at works by Lina Bobardi of Brazil or study Frida Escobedo in Mexico. It was only much later in her career that she actively looked into what other women were doing in the region, a problem that's slowly but notably subsiding. In Smood's class at the University de Tela, there's a half-and-half half mix between genders, both as examples to follow and those who attend. During the pandemic, she's also set up an architect's group that will present a female-only project at the Venice Biennale next year. And despite acknowledging that there is some way to go, there's momentum with a respected female design force in Argentina that's opening up to the world. But while Adilia Suarez is a celebrated name in the world of planning, pinpointing concrete examples of her work can be somewhat of a difficult task. Rather than an iconic skyscraper or an emblematic public square, her influence is so deeply woven into the fabric of the streets and districts of the city that it can almost go unnoticed. Adila Suarez mainly works in planning office, so it's difficult to find what she done in, in materially in some way, but her ideas were in the base of many, many different places in Buenos Aires. For example, Catalina Sur is a very interesting neighborhood with um, mixed use and very different types of buildings. What is specific on Odilia Suarez 
point of view regarding planning issues. I think that you incorporate things that for the modernity was not so evident. For example, the respect of the patrimony. Also, she talked a lot about the people life and how they're going to live. And I think that is more on a women feminine approach. I like a phrase of her when she thought there were particularly crucial tools for the practice of design. In her words, I believe that the key to any design activity is in determining its aims, knowing what it needs to achieve, interpret, reject, solve, create, or communicate socially, based on the identification of the social objectives and as a union between this and the built environment are the programs. To create appropriate programs is to help shape society itself. This is another thing that usually architects didn't do, or regular architects, is to thinking about the program of a place. I read for her that was important because you are thinking about how is the people to live there. And when you go to Catalina Sur, you can feel that because it's many, many times the new neighborhoods lack the social capacity or they take a lot of time to have a, a kind of identity for the people who live there. And Catalina South is a very nice, comfortable, and you feel there that there is a sense of belonging of the people who live there. This barrio of Catalina Sur, now known as Barrio Alfredo Palacios, is perhaps the most shining example of Suarez's methodic planning work. To tell us more about the neighbourhood, his monocles, Carlotta Ribello. In the late 1960s, the city of Buenos Aires was ready for change and wanted to shake things up. As a result, the Department of Urban Planning launched a public competition to design a brand new neighborhood in the city. The brief was an ambitious one, to create an area which could accommodate 15,000 homes aimed at middle-class residents. Odilia Suarez, who, as you might have gathered, won this competition as well, went a step further. Taking inspiration from her time studying at Taliesin West with Frank Lloyd Wright in the United States, and also from the UK's New Towns movement, which she learned when living in London, Suarez wanted the neighbourhood of Catalina Sur to be an example of how great urban planning can make for great urban living. In her proposal, she imagined an area where pedestrians and vehicles could coexist, but be kept separate, creating distinct spaces for each through greenery or pedestrian pathways. Instead of designing vertically to make room for the thousands of new homes needed, she proposed a mix of single-family villas with sensible tower blocks behind, creating these different layers of living spaces, and even allowing for recreational and social areas to take room at ground level. The buildings would be built in simple lines with shutters for shade and heat preservation and painted in colourful shades of pink, blue and green to be in contrast with the vegetation and landscape surrounding them. Though Suarez never lived to see the plan fully implemented, in fact only part of her vision ended up being built due to bureaucracy and changing administrations, remnants of her planning genius and pioneering work can still be found in the barrio Alfredo Palacios, as the neighbourhood is known today. The proximity to the river and ample gardens have created a habitat not only for residents, but also for wildlife, notably several species of birds. In the 1980s, further recreational activities found a home here too, including a theatre group, football schools, a church, a school and even a hospital. 
What Suarez ultimately wanted was to put people at the center of urban planning, creating spaces where we'd be happy to live in and call home. So perhaps this is the biggest tribute the city of Buenos Aires could have ever given to Suarez, to allow for Catalina Sur to grow so organically that life could simply move in. Catalina Sur, like all of Suarez's projects, gave strong emphasis to human-scale design, a term that wasn't really known or considered during her time. This idea has since grown in popularity and is a legitimate and recognisable label across urbanism today. This concept is at the core of the work undertaken by Copenhagen's Gale Architects. The firm is a global leader in people-centred urban design. We caught up with co-founder Hella Serholt to get an explainer on people-centric design and to find out how Gale Architects is pushing this idea even further. The human scale is something that we talk about in relation to the human experience of a place. And human experiences are very related to our senses and our behavior. And when we study human behavior in public spaces, we have seen that there are certain aspects of human behavior that are shared across cultures. And we've defined 12 quality criteria that we often use when talking about spaces being more relatable or having a more human scale. The first three really has to do with protection, that we as human beings really need to feel protected. That could be sort of traffic or other outside-in hazards. It could also be feeling of safety or security in relation to other people and violence. Then certainly also protection from climatic issues in spaces. Six other principles really has to do with the way we feel comfort as human beings. So that's what is the opportunity that we have to walk or stand or sit in a place, opportunities to see or smell, talk and listen, and just to play and perform exercises of various kinds, you could say, meeting other people. And then the last three principles that has to do with delight opportunities for enjoying the space, having more positive and sensory experiences, and then also how the buildings themselves are designed in a soft way, landing within the space, creating lots of details and opportunities to engage with the edges of a place. So those are 12 quality criteria that we often work with in relation to designing spaces and places for people. At Gale, we try to incorporate a human perspective and a people-first perspective through our methods and our design. And that very much relates to creating a human scale in all of our projects. Method-wise, we would always start to understand how people are using a place, what are the underlying cultures of a place or in a community, so that we can relate our design to those needs. And based on this surveying method, you could say, we can then better address some of those human needs, you could say, and scales within our design. So we would look at how to shorten distances for people so that people could have easy access to outdoor spaces or to jobs or to health and education. 
we would also try to lower speeds in general, you could say, so that we move more slowly and can more easily relate to one another. We would also try to make sure that we have lots of activities at ground level. And then we would try to really have face-to-face orientation rather than back-to-back orientation or closed facades. All of these qualities is also related to what we have tried to continue defining in our latest book, which is called Soft City. In the Soft City book, we try to get a little bit deeper into this idea about the human scale. We have looked at how humans can more easily access and engage with design. So we've been looking into the concepts of ease, comfort again, and simplicity, but also aspects of smallness. We as human beings need to have a little bit of individual control and self-determination in places that we inhabit. So we have looked into how we can actually make more smaller elements in our developments so it's more easy for people to relate to. But we've also looked into aspects like calmness because having more tranquility, more cool or quiet areas is actually also important when it comes to a human scale The city and the development should not always be busy and noisy and lots of activities all the time. And then lastly, I would say we've been looking into aspects of sharing and responsiveness and what are the aspects in a community development or in public spaces that we can share more social or common areas Participatory design is, of course, something that within urban planning and urban design is talked a lot about. So how can we actually engage people and respond to things more locally so that people can feel that the design is responsive to their needs? For me, the important legacy of Odile Saores is this capacity to think in a strategic, so bigger scale of plan, but also in the one-to-one scale of people living in the places, always doing this back and forth work. And also was very important, her attitude till the existing patrimony, built patrimony, but also environmental elements. She talked about environmental issues very early in the 60s, 70s. It was quite early. There's a book that was done by Marta Alonso, Sonia Bevilacqua and Graciela Brandaris that is uh, Odilia Suarez, an exemplary trajectory of an architect and urbanist in Latin America that was published in 2010. And there they say, it's Odilia words, renovation brings future time closer The same was as conservation shortens pastime. And both attitudes enrich and give full meaning to the present in which we live. The environmental elements that we preserve are our living memory and they contribute substantially to the strengthening of peoples and communities. Because with regards to being, it is as important to know where one comes from 
as it is to know where one is going. As a Latin American woman whose career in architecture started in the mid-20th century, we may not know so much about where Odilia Suarez came from, but what we can know for certain is that her life's work paved a way forward for planners and architects both in Argentina and beyond. And her influence continues to be felt in all of those human-centric designs to this day. And that's all for this second episode of our special summer series here on The Urbanist. My thanks to Zaida Mouché, Lucinda Elliott, Carlotta Ribello and Hella Serholt for joining us on the show today. The programme was produced by Carlotta Ribello and David Stevens, and David also edited the show. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or monocle.com to subscribe and ensure that you hear the next instalment of our series. Next week... Well, we turn to one of Japan's most revered architects, Kenzo Tange. Kenzo Tange was absolutely an early star architect, as we would call him today. He knew how to represent himself in the media. So just in the same way that he used governmental data in different types of media to design his projects of reconstruction, he embedded himself in popular media. The full episode is out on Thursday at 20 hundred hours UK time. That's 4am in Tokyo. And to play you out this week, well, here's Argentina's own Nati Peluso with Buenos Aires. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Go. Cool.